Hello and welcome to the Money Next podcast series. Today you'll be listening to part of our event series on the money on the topic of gender diversity and inclusion in financial services. Our on the money event series is live dynamic and fast paced with questions put directly to each of our speakers. This particular session will dive into the challenges and improvements within the issue of gender diversity within financial services. With mindsets clearly shifting, but levels of diversity on boards and in senior leadership roles still far too low, this discussion will look at how we can maintain the momentum and drive a tangible change in diversity and inclusion across the sector. So now I'll hand over to our event director, Mark Johnson, who will introduce you to our panellists. Hello and welcome to On The Money. My name is Mark Johnston. I'm your host for the next 45 minutes. Now today's discussion is all around gender, diversity and inclusion in financial services. We've got a great panel of speakers for you today. We've got Melanie Meyer of Entersect. Hello, Melanie. We've got Sonia Yoveno of Silicon Valley Bank. Hello, Sonia. We've got Melanie Seymour. We've got Melanie Seymour of Women in Banking and Finance. Hello, Melanie. And we've got Dave Hale-Bron of Aegon. Hey, Dave. Hi. And in the moderator seat, we've got Irenia Contalatu of Scientia. Irenia will be bringing the questions from the chat into play. Hello, Irenia. Hi. Okay, great. Let's crack on. We've got a lot of ground to cover. Today, we're discussing gender diversity. Okay, so what are the, what are the benefits of a diverse workforce? Melanie Seymour of Women in Banking and Finance. Welcome to On The Money. If I can come to you with this first question, please. Thank you and welcome and welcome everybody and thank you for joining. I think I'll answer this in two ways. Firstly, I think we've talked lots over the years about the benefits of a diverse workforce in terms of that diversity of thought and behaviour brings better decisions, it brings faster decisions, we get more innovation in the way we think. From an investment perspective, the results show that better investment decisions are there if we have diversity of thought and behaviour in those decisions. But I also think of it through a different lens as we go, sort of as we evolve that agenda. And it brings me back to a conversation I had with my children about 10 years ago. I have two boys that are now 23 and 21. And I can remember being very passionate about diversity and why I was doing so much. And the boys both looked at me and said, why do you do this? And to start with, I was horrified because it was, I bought up two boys that just don't understand this. This is awful. But what they were actually saying was, but we would never work at a company where it wasn't diverse because our friends are diverse. We have friends that are female, male. We have friends of different colors. We have friends of different backgrounds. So why would we work somewhere where that wasn't there? So why do you think this? So it sort of gave me hope for the future. I don't think we've got there as fast as I thought. But when I look at it now, I think it's not just what are the benefits of a diverse workforce, it's what are the expectations of a workforce more generally. So if you look through a lens of candidates, it's amazing now when you look at from grad entry and those junior entries, the questions you get on the diversity of your workforce and what you're doing as a company to promote diversity. So a candidate perspective and to drive the best hiring results 
it's becoming a necessity. You have to be able to demonstrate your purpose, what you do in that diversity space. And then for your own employees, more and more when we look at um, employee surveys through different companies across the industry, that question on diversity and a diverse workforce and what is being done is again, more and more driving companies to think about diversity across the piece. And then I think most importantly, you're hearing it from your clients. Clients are driving diversity. Clients want you to have diversity in your workforce. They expect you to bring a diverse panel when you go to pitch. They expect to see diversity in everything you do. So I think whilst 10 years ago, we started talking about the benefits and what it did to the bottom line and where that came from. I think now it's just becoming, we're being driven by the environment that we have to do that more. Thank you, Melanie. Um, Dave, I know you had something to add to us uh, on the benefits of a diverse workforce as well, please. Definitely. I mean, um, I work for Aegon and uh, we are a global company. I mean, not as big as, for example, uh, Amazon or, or such, but we are a financial institution based in the United States, in, in Europe and in Asia. And it's, uh, our, I mean, you've just said it as well. Our clients are demanding it, but we see it as being one of the the drivers of innovation and creativity and it shows also in the results in the cooperation um but um as stipulated our clients or our investors uh, in funds are demanding this um uh, because their clients are demanding it uh, as well so that's something i'd like to add to the comments which have just been said a few minutes ago um, um it's a very important and globalized world where we're working in and especially now with with covid where everything is becoming global uh, due to digital work, we have to be diverse and we have to act diverse and inclusive uh, uh, as well. Thanks, Dave. Uh, and Sonia, over to you as well. The, the benefits to you see in having a diverse workforce, please. Yeah, thanks. And I, I think I'll, I'll sort of limit my comments to gender diversity because, um, you know, there, there's a huge gambit of points we can make on the issue of diversity more generally. but. I think when it comes to gender diversity, we've had lots of evidence now and lots of reports that are database, and I think it's, it's helpful to look at data to try and answer this question. Um, and so, for instance, one of the reports that came out last year showed that you know of the top 25% of companies who have very diverse uh, workforces on a gender basis, they are more likely to be 21% more profitable on average than other, other companies in their cohort. So it goes directly to the bottom line. Uh, in terms of shareholders and stakeholders and the benefits from an economic perspective. But I think there's also a whole um, cultural uh, and, and creativity perspective that Melanie touched on a little bit. You know, when you have uh, gender diversity, you've got a very, very different sort of way of, of discussing problems, of finding solutions, of relating to each other. It creates for a very tolerant and a very creative workforce. Um, and that's one of the reasons why it then down the line leads to that greater element of profitability. Um, but for me, if you look specifically at financial services, arguably you could say, actually, we don't need more diversity in financial services because about 45% of all of those employed in financial services are women. What we need is um, equality at the top of financial services. That's where the gap is. Um, and the FCA report that came out last year 
said that on the basis of the current rate of change, it will be 88 years before we have gender equality and financial services. So we definitely need to do something fundamentally more different to what we have been doing. Uh, but the benefits are there for all to see. It's for companies to go out there and grab it in a more proactive way than they have been doing so far. Thank you, Sonia. Thanks so much for that. Um, Arenia, welcome to, to On The Money. Um, I'd like to bring you in at this point. Have we got any, any, any noise from the chat or any points you'd like to make on, on this, this topic? Uh, we don't have anything in the chat yet, uh, although I think we're going to add a lot uh, during this conversation. But something that I would like to add myself is how having a diverse workplace and workforce really helps you mentally and psychologically, meaning that a woman going into a diverse workforce uh, can really this whole aspect can really change her psychology and really believing in herself and speaking her mind instead of going into a workforce that is really either male dominated or not diverse at all. Uh, but Mark, um, I'm going to divert this uh, back to you and go over the next point that I think is very important to add to. Great. Thank you. Thank you for that, Irenia. Um, and just on that, on the, on the numbers of 88 years, then, uh, you know, I'll, fortunately for myself, I'll just be around just about long enough to, to see that through. So uh, anyway, on to the, on to the next one. Uh, next question, guys, we've got um, rattling on. Are we doing enough as a sector to encourage diversity at entry level and in leadership positions? At this point, Melanie Meyer, I'd like to bring you into the conversation. Welcome to On The Money. Uh, your points on this, please. Yeah, so um, I would like to touch on three aspects to answer that question. And the one is um, very much linked to what Melanie said about her, her boys and saying they wouldn't even um, think about working in a company that is not diverse. And I think this is um, what needs to be done more and more in order to acquire, especially uh, young top talents um, to be really diverse in every aspect of the world, but not only to be diverse, but also be truly value led. So and I can speak from my perspective. So for my generation, um, but even more for for younger generation, this is becoming more and more important. And we are we are picky when it comes to our workplaces and especially when when values and I feel like diversity and inclusion is one of these important values to a particular generation. If they're just words on a on a wall or on a on a website, and it's not lived and breath every day, breathe every day, then we pick up on that quite quickly. And also, it plays into being being authentic. More and more people want to be authentic. Everyone of us wants wants to bring their authentic self to the workplace. And I believe that only in a workplace that fully embraces diversity and inclusion um, can give you that feeling. And no matter your ethnicity or your or your gender, I think it's really about being able to bring your authentic self to work. And I think what we could also do better, not only to attract talent, but um, to help people move up the, the ladders and then also address the problem that we are diverse on the entry levels and maybe mid management, but senior level and, and C-suite um, have a bigger focus on official sponsorships and mentorship program. There's still a, sort, a shortage of these programs and these programs, whether that's um, having an executive who sponsors you or having 
um, a mentor who can help you to navigate um, that corporate life or even the startup life um, that can really help for people to develop their their skills lean into their strength and eventually that will result in leveling the, the play um, the playing field because you don't have these little groups and secret meetings that if you're not part of that that group um, you might not know about and you can't reap the benefits um, and then the, the third aspect that um, I want to touch on is especially if young people entering your your workforce and you're interested in keeping them um, also give them the tools they need to feel included and again this is about leveling the playing field and um, this is not just for for women and specifically who enter into a more male dominated workforce it's really for everyone who might not fit the mold of the company to 100 percent because you can't change a company culture overnight but you can give people tools to help to navigate it in the best way and then with this really feel feel included and yeah knowing the, the ropes of the game so i think this is um these three aspects um being truly diverse and value-led um focusing on sponsorship and mentoring and giving people tools to navigate that environment they um they find themselves in and Great, thank you very much for that, Melanie. Sonia, that question to you. Are we doing enough as a sector to encourage diversity at entry level and in leadership positions? Yeah, um, well, great to, to shout out, to come out in the chat. And I'd say um, if anyone in the audience has particular initiatives that they have um, put to, to, to practice in their own company that they'd like to share with everyone else, we'd love to know them. Um, I think, you know, when I look across financial services at entry level, um, grad schemes have come a long way and by and large I think that companies are doing a much better job than they used to do in terms of making sure that there's good gender balance across grad schemes um, but I think that the challenge comes really um, in the way that it always has in the past which is as women start to move up the career ladder um, that not enough of them are coming through at a senior level and so I think it really is you know for me in terms of keeping women in, in the financial services long-term for their careers, that has to come from the top. And, you know, it, it's interesting when we talk about mentors, um, you know, women, women by and large like to be mentored by women. Um, and that's, that's a very sort of broad statement, but um, there is this, this aspect of empathy and, and understanding um, of the, the journey that a woman goes through, particularly if she gets to a senior level to get to that position and the sacrifices and the challenges that come with it. Um, and it's quite difficult if you don't have role models to look up to. So I feel quite strongly, and this is my own personal opinion, that it, it is very important now in terms of how we you know, put our foot on the accelerator for the next 10 years, that we really look very closely at executive board level. Um, and I thought the 30% club was a great starting point in terms of companies making very overt commitments as to the number of female um, board members they were going to have. But of course, initially that was very focused on non-exec board positions and it became quite clear that there's a limited amount of influence a non-exec can have on the entire culture of a company. So I think that you know it's really important to look at the senior board positions and in that aspect, for this to be front and center of every CEO and exec board member's goals 
on an annual basis tied into their bonus in terms of appointing women to a certain percentage of the roles, at least 50% of the roles that are going to be appointed in any given year. Um, and in that way, you might start to see a little acceleration in the number of roles, but also you get the halo effect of role models for other women in the company that can you know, look at what is possible, that can go to those people for mentoring and advice. Um, and it has, as I said, you know, a, a halo effect across the company first and then hopefully in the longer term, the financial services industry. Great, some, some great points made. Dave, Dave um, if I can come to you now as well, your opinions please. Are we seeing enough to, to be done to encourage diversity at entry level and leadership? Well, entry level, I fully agree. There is a lot being done also by our own organization, but I see that from our competitors as well. Um, if I look at it our, at my own perspective, I mean, I'm a, a responsible for talent acquisition in, in the Netherlands, uh, uh, and uh, we have a few organizations uh, also globally organized. Um, so subsidiaries, and we've set targets uh, also on the top end. So I'm involved with top end uh, decisions, sorry, top end um, appoints, appointments when it comes to uh, senior level of positions, also um, up to executive board. Um, uh, so in that sense, we've set targets, uh, KPI targets, not only 30%, but even higher right now um, uh, with our objective of, of obtaining 40% females or gender ratio. And it's not only from, from a gender ratio point of view, but also from a wider sense when it comes to diversity and inclusion. I mean, it's all white. Um, and um, as I indicated earlier, um, uh, we are a global company and uh, it should not only be white male or white female, it should be uh, uh, all the colors of the world uh, represented in a globalized organization. And I think that should be a uh, set standard for the short term, but also especially for the long term, if we want to achieve a clue diverse and inclusive um, uh, financial world. Great. Thank you very much for that, Dave. Um, I understand, Derenia, we'll come to you now. We've got, a, we've got a question in the chat for the guys. Mm -hmm. Yes, so I wanted to ask the following question. Um, so in order to build a diverse workforce, you have to start from the very beginning, which is uh, informing recent graduates from university or postgraduates that want to get involved into your companies that the workforce that you have is a very diverse and this question also resonates a lot with me because i come from a computer science background so post-graduating i was very discouraged the most companies that i would go into were very male dominated and i wouldn't really find my place or have a voice in those workloads so do you think we're doing enough in talking to universities about diverse workforces, are we cultivating this idea to young adults that are getting into this field? Uh, Melanie, Seymour, actually, I would like to question uh, with you. So I think there's a couple, I think we've done so much more than we did before. I mean, if you look at the stats, the entry level uh, a grad coming into the industry is the highest it's ever been. I mean, some of the companies that are members of WIBF are actually thinking, have we gone too far? Like, is that, have we got too many females coming in if you look through a gender basis? But I think the, that's still though, I think the, if you look at the broader diversity piece, it's still people that have probably grown up thinking that's an industry for them. To exactly your point, did you think this would be the right industry for you, did you have that? And 
I think there's two things we need to do more of. And I think everybody's mentioned it in some point. We have to have better role models, but attainable role models. We have to have people that are telling stories that resonate with the people that we want to attract. Because it's, I think there's still this view that the financial services industry is still quite elite. It's for a group of people at a certain level that went from a certain background. And it brings to that what we talk about a lot more across the industry through the women in banking and finance lens is this level of equity that needs to come into diversity and inclusion as well. In this equality piece of how do we make equality of opportunity for everybody. So I think that bringing that to the fore, that this is for anybody has the opportunity to come in, but we need more role models to demonstrate that and demonstrate that someone like you can be successful in an organization like this. Thanks very much for that, Melanie. Um, I just wanted a, a quick question of my own, actually, just um, you know, as, as far as the audience goes. Um, Melanie, just come back to you on this one. Um, in terms of in terms of um, sort of figureheads or people or mentors or people to look at, who, who would you say right now, you know, for the audience at home watching now, who, who should they be, be following? Who, who, who should they be looking out for? And this is where I'll get really controversial. I don't know it's people in the media and the big names are the ones you should be really looking at. It's those role models come in all shapes and sizes. And I think it's, if I'm honest, I think in the industry, we don't do a great job of having realistic role models out there. And really, we've talked about authenticity and attainability. Some of the role models that are out there that have a big media presence, if you like, are they really the people that if you are in your 20s, thinking about this as an industry, you can look at and think, yeah, that's like me. I could attain that. I could be one of those people. So I think it's, you need to look beyond the media. You need to look around your industry, your organizations to see who are those people that actually, I really resonate with that person. I want to learn more about them. Cool. Thank you very much for that. Thank you. Right, let's, uh, let's move on guys. Okay, the next question we've got. What initiatives are to making a difference right now? Okay, Melanie Seymour, I'm coming straight back to you again. <laughs> uh, what you know, in your observations, you know, what 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 what's making a difference right now? So again, there's a couple of things that I can point to. I think one is that companies are beginning to collaborate more on this subject. So I think, especially in our industry, we've always been quite siloed and quite protective of this is how we do this and we're not going to share what we do and we're going to stay in that lane more and more we're seeing and again i have that privilege of looking at it through the network lens you see more companies wanting to collaborate on this and share best practice and look at ways they can sponsor research. We've just had a big research project that all of the big financial services companies in Europe have in some way sponsored and are working together. 
So we see it now more as an industry problem than an individual company problem, which I think has been really helpful. The other piece that I think has begun to make a step change, and again, it points to the points that others have made, is people are looking at this through a lot more of a holistic lens than they ever have done. So there was a lot of focus on hiring. There was a lot of focus on grads. And how do we get people in at that bottom layer? How do we bring people in? And then it was a bit of a tick of it's done. But it's so much more than that. So firstly, there's, and again, this is a big bugbear of mine that I'm always very vocal on. Diversity is actually the easy bit. It's the inclusion bit that's hard. So there's been so much more focus on an inclusive workplace. And I think that comes in a variety of guises that some people have talked about. But some of it, and we're seeing this across a lot of companies, is this sort of idea of re-recruiting your own, your own workforce. Are you really doing enough with your own workforce to make them feel valued, to make them feel that they are included, that there is this equity of opportunity within their own company, that it's not, and Melanie mentioned this, it's not that small group of people that always get asked to do a project, always are on the list if there's a promotion. It is that making sure people see that within their company. And then in that promotion progression type area, that the right support is put around people and companies get better at taking risks. And I think we've seen, even over this week, we've seen some really high profile financial services companies in Europe putting female leaders into big positions, which on paper, they probably are taking a bit of a risk on that person. It's not the person that you would think of would go into that role. And I'm definitely seeing that more holistic approach across many, many financial services companies. But I think the key is this now recognition that inclusion and equity are just as important, if not more so, than the diversity piece. And that's what's going to start to really move us to not just having entry level diversity stats that we're proud of, but that next levels up and stopping losing that sort of middle layer and people dropping out of the workforce before we can get them into those senior roles. Thanks very much, Melanie. Um, Dave, any success stories you could bring um, the attention to for us? Uh, sure. I, I just want to refer back to the role model thing, though, before I go into that, because I disagree with that comment. Um, there are a few role models. And if you look at it from, from uh, the social media role models, there is currently a lady in the Netherlands, for example, who, who's quite successful under, she's 28 or 29, I think her, uh, she is. And she's uh, uh, invested heavily, for example, in Bitcoins. And she's becoming quite famous within uh, uh, female grads who wanted, who who are who've never been, who, who were never interested in the industry or in the financial industry. And she's attracting lots and lots of crowds to her media channel. So um, I, I I don't fully agree with uh, there are uh, no role models, especially young role model, female role models, out there in the market. So I, I wanted to get back to that. Uh, comment about success uh, aspects. 
um, from, from, from my own view, um, uh, there is a lot of work to be done. Uh, and, and the major objective is setting targets. And uh, um, uh, for example, in my team, what we've done for every position, we need to have, for example, two females applying for every single role. Um, that has to be done to get that gender ratio, not at the bottom level, but at the top level as well. So that's one. And that's becoming quite successful because you see the gender ratio going up, not from the undergraduate point of view, but also the mediates. And and I only I not only see this from from our point of view, but also from my competitors in the in the global market space, they're doing the roughly the same thing. So that's one. And the second thing which we need to do, uh, and that's quite difficult within the European Union, is increasing that diversity uh, measurement. I mean, we can do we can measure male and female, but uh, what I said earlier, I'd like to see a more broader uh, diversity and inclusion uh, workforce out and talent workforce. Sorry, an uh, uh, increase in in, in talent, um, um, uh, and that's very difficult with the GDPR uh, into into uh, a practice, um, which is a lot easier, for example, in the United States or Canada, where you don't have this GDPR restriction. So um, I'm, I'm interested in learning and seeing what others are doing with regards to broadening that, that diversity and inclusion. I haven't found it yet. So that's maybe a question for the group or for a later stage, um, because that's, that's still uh, up for grabs in my, in, my, in my opinion. Thank you very much, Dave. I think this, this discussion is very much one that's going to go on and on, way longer than, this, uh, than we've got time to, to for today, but for sure we'll be following up. I'll just remind everyone at home, make sure your questions are coming in for us. Uh, Arenia, I believe you've got another question for us you'd like to bring into the discussion. Yes, actually, it's more of a success story that I would like to share uh, and shed a light, let's say, at, at the end of this tunnel of uh, is the workforce diverse or is the financial sector diverse? The first success story that when I read about it, I, I was taken aback, honestly, is since we're talking about the financial sector, we have to talk about banking. I think it's imperative. And it was uh, this initiative of a new bank, uh, a neo bank coming out being um, all about financial inclusion. People of all colors, all genders, even people with mental health issues would be um, having this account would be accessible to manage their finances in a very nice way. To give you an example, they are building the first gender neutral KYC process, which is something that we don't often think about to include these people in processes that we use on a daily basis. And another success story is um, I I've seen a lot of powerful women in the financial sector being very vocal, one of them being Anne Bowden and coming out with a book about being a CEO and how hard it is not just because you're a woman, but because of all the difficulties that you have to go through. And it is very important to young people out there to read these powerful words and to feel encouraged to go into the sector and make a change. Great. Thank you very much for that, Arenia. Um, guys, we'll, we'll move on then. Next, next point, next question for everyone. How can we continue to build momentum? Uh, recommendations for 2021. Melanie Meyer, let's come, let's come back to you for this one, uh, please. Your thoughts. Yeah. Um, yeah, 
think we're definitely heading into the right directions. There's a huge movement um, addressing gender diversity and inclusion. Um, but what I feel is that it is still a very much women-led movement. Um, and in, so in, in my circle or in my uh, filter bubble, um, I'm part of EWPN, European Women Payment Network, for example. And again, we touched on this earlier. Um, finding these networks, there you also find incredible role models, even outside of your career or outside the mainstream media. So that's definitely something to look into for everyone who is interested. Um, but also EWPN said, we can't do it on our own. It, is, it takes a village. Um, and we have to understand that um, equality, it's not about pointing fingers and who's right or wrong. And this also um, feminism and um, diversity and inclusion is not about making women stronger because women are already strong with um, all their, their traits and specific leadership styles. And it's really much about changing the way um, the world, especially the corporate world, perceives these particular strengths. And again, it is um, it can only be achieved through collaboration. Um, I, and I think this is with every um, aspect of diversity and inclusion, even beyond gender, um, that it's not really fair to let the minority um, group do all the work. And still today, 80% of leadership positions are held by white men so it's really about identifying more men to support us and then we'll get there faster otherwise you know i don't think any of us want to wait these 88 years um and then at the same time i think we need to to broaden up the conversation when we talk about um gender equality talk about different aspects of um diversity um and include not only gender but also Generation, I think that is sometimes overlooked. Um, older generations in the workforce, um, ethnicity, sexuality, disability, um, that was that was named earlier. Um, and as another thing is, I still think that more integration of these initiatives need to be need to be happening in everyday everyday lives. So. Um, really integrating these cultural um, and competence, competencies and inclusive behaviors into job descriptions, performance measures, um, and also equipping managers and leaders to support these movements, really giving them the training, sharing learning, um, modeling inclusive behaviors, and especially from the top leadership. Because if it's an HR exercise, but it's not supported from the top leadership, um, that's gonna slow down the the progress. And um, maybe this is a little bit of a wider topic, which not only the financial service industry can address, but that's more the social aspect of it. Um, there was the last last week or the week before, there was uh, the video on, on LinkedIn of the Trivago CEO. I don't know if you saw that. He had a video interview and his son came in and then he had a son on his lab and <clears throat> the son was sitting there during the interview, which is great role modeling, but there's a caveat. And um, don't get me wrong, I welcome this attitude and men are getting more involved into childcare. But if society is glorifying this, we kind of gloss over um, the real problem that 
fatherhood, and this is a big topic also in the in the gender um, discussion, that it's fatherhood in practice is still not a matter of course. And um, this is where society needs to change, where companies needs to change um, to also allow fathers to take out more time for the families. And um, just to end this, I want to go back to something that uh, Melanie said earlier about um, these examples of companies recruiting more women to the sea level and they might have taken a risk there. And did they really take a risk? I'm not so sure. Maybe we also have to, as an industry, have to um, alter the the assumptions or the, or the, stand, the standards about what does it require to be a good CEO? Does this person have to come from um, the three types of leadership that we usually see to be recruited into CEO levels, um, which is the leading line of business, finance and operations? Um, can we open up these, these pools to, to draw from when we talk about CEO positions? Thank you very much for that, Melanie. Um... I noticed you, you touched on the, the, the 88 years again. I think this Sonia, you originally brought up. I, I'm going to come to you with, the, with that question, Sonia, about how can we continue to build momentum. But if I could ask you also uh, on the 88 years thing, what, what do you think would be a more realistic time frame? You know, 88 years is such a long time. What, what could we look at, 10 years? To, you know, is that too long still? What, what, what's your opinion on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, I don't think this is, uh, should be as as difficult as we're making it. It involves enormous cultural change. That's the challenge. I mean, I think um, it, it's an interesting question our last speaker posed. What does it take to become a CEO? And the problem when you ask or you try to answer that question is that if you're talking from the point of view of looking at existing CEOs, you're almost therefore looking mainly at male CEOs. And without meaning to unconscious bias comes into your expectation of what a CEO looks like and acts like and sounds like. And for me, one of the one of the things that I notice talking to, you know, women who have made it to the top is that they can't really be their authentic selves. And when we talk about junior people coming in from university, like gender bias um, and diversity and inclusion and being your authentic self is very much what they're all about. And I think it's, it's to be commended. And it, it almost clashes in many ways with the corporate culture that exists in many institutions, particularly in the financial services sector. So in terms of what can we do to continue to build the momentum in 2021, I think continuing to keep a close lens, um, all of us, women as well as men, on that unconscious bias element and really sort of proactively working to break that down and to challenge ourselves in terms of our biases um, and how we expect women to behave. In some areas in financial services, for instance, it can be a very aggressive culture um, because of the lack of diversity. And so it's a big ask then to, to change that fundamentally and you have to change it by by rapidly changing the mix. We all know that having one woman sitting around a board just isolates that one woman. Um, it doesn't actually change a culture or improve diversity at all. You have to bring in 30, 40% of a group, any group, in order to really change the dynamic of the conversation, in order to build trust, um, and, and in order to, to build empathy. And I think that's all, all really important. 
And what else can we do? You know, I, I look at companies like Monzo, for instance, which really broke the mold a few years ago by coming out very publicly and publishing their diversity and inclusion stats um, monitoring that data, you know, being very upfront if they'd fallen behind. And I would encourage more companies to do that because I think it puts it front and center of mind when we're making lots of decisions across our organization that will impact how we work with each other and who we put into, into various roles. And I guess the final um, piece in terms of what we can build on is the Women in Finance Charter, uh, which was put in place in 2016 by Jane Angadia, or as a result of, of her report. Um, a lot of companies have signed up to that. And I think um, it's a question of really continuing to look and build out that framework and how you can use it in your own company to start to really navel gaze at how you're appointing people to different positions. And again, the, the culture that you're building across your organization. Great, thank you very much for that, Sonia. Um, Arenia, I believe uh, we should bring you in at this point. Have you got some comments to share with us? Yes, actually, I have a question. So whenever I hear the word diversity, a specific uh, word that comes into mind is mental health. And I think in 2021, we should all be very vocal about mental health. And I would like to ask, um, starting with Sonia, because she had very wonderful opinions on this. Um, is there something happening right now in the financial sector to promote inclusivity of people dealing with mental health issues? Or if it's not, are we seeing any initiatives? I suppose I can talk most knowledgeably about my own company, but I think mental health is, um, is high on the agenda for every employer across the nation, whether they're in financial services or not. Um, and I know certainly in Silicon Valley Bank, it has been some, it was a roller coaster year last year, it's continuing this year, and mental health is top and front of the agenda. Um, as a company, for instance, we have put resources available to our staff for counselling. Um, we have put uh, groups together to form mentoring and support groups. Um, and I think the, the other thing we're doing is thinking, and I, I know employers across the financial services are thinking like this, about building flexibility into our everyday lives. So I do feel really that one of the benefits of COVID is that the whole nine to five traipsing into work on a train um, and commuting, I think that's probably gone forever. There will be some companies that might go back to it, but certainly across the cohort of, of clients that I speak to, most companies are looking at having a very flexible approach to work um, where people are working from home. And I think that will certainly benefit women um, who tend to have more of the childcare responsibilities as a whole, but it'll certainly help people who are struggling with their mental health to be able to build routines around their lives that work for them. For instance, whether they are, you know, they're better, more of a morning person, they need to take a break and go for a walk during the day and come back to it again in the evening or work it a, a different way. Um, so I think, you know, mental health is something that we're still very much learning about. Um, every single person I speak to, and I put myself there as well, has suffered from a mental perspective with COVID, with anxiety, with sleepless nights, and all of that um, you know, affects us deeply personally. At the same time, many of us have been working harder than ever. And in fact, productivity in many companies has gone through the roof in the past 12 months. Um, but that raises the specter of burnout as well, of course. It can only be kept up at that level for so long. Um, so I think there are actually, COVID has accelerated mental health onto the agenda, both in financial services and, and across the, the business world in general. Thank you very much, Sonia.
Um, we've only got time now for just one real quick question I just wanted to indulge in. Um, what excites you most about 2021 and beyond? Dave, if I could come to you with that question, please. We don't need to travel by plane. I think this has proven to be uh, the most successful period in our lives with regards to working globally. So I'm very happy about that. So we're contributing to, to environmental um, uh, uh, solutions, and this is one of them. So I'm very happy about that. I know this has nothing to do with diversity and inclusion, but I just I think this is very, very uh, good timing that, um, that we're in. And, and Sonia, if I bring that question to you as well for 2021? Um, I'm going to stay true to my own day job and say technology. I'm uh, so excited about how it is changing the world of work, how it's changing financial services. It has absolutely leapt forward in terms of digital adoption by um, all age groups across the world. Um, and I think it's, uh, it's going to continue at a much faster pace in 2021. Great. Thank you very much. That's all we've got time now for now. So th thank you so much to our panellists, to Dave, to Melanie, to Sonia, to Melanie and to Arenia on the, in the moderator's seat. Thank you so much, guys. Really appreciate your, your, your participation. Thank you to everyone at home as well who's tuned in for the last 45 minutes. Thank you so much. We really appreciate that. If you look out for our live events calendar, we've got a lot more coming up this year. Follow us on social media. And also follow me and, and, and connect with me. And if you've got any, any opinions on what you've heard today or on how we've run the format, that sort of thing, I'd love to hear them. That's it for us for now. Thank you very much and stay safe. You've been listening to our On The Money panel discussion on the topic of gender diversity and inclusion within financial services. So thanks very much for tuning in to the Money Next podcast series. Our next On The Money event will be on the topic of the customer is always right, right? and will be available to listen to on March the 22nd. So thanks again and visit our Money Next platform for more insights and dates for our live events. Thanks so much.